Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Genesis 28 verse 1 to 22 says, So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, so that you may now take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padanaram. Esau then realised how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching a heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring back to you this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethuel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and, I will, wa- and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give food to, m- to me and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Our second Bible reading today follows directly on from the first and is Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the Eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. 
Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We are from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, 
because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Everyone, thank you, Aidan and Nathan, for those Bible readings. Two fine young men with a great gift. Great to hear from them. Gilberto Arujo was a Brazilian man. One day he was innocently walking along the street, minding his own business, when a friend said to him, Man, I thought you were dead. Gilberto, Nope, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. And uh, his friend said, no, seriously, man, everyone thinks you're dead. The funeral is today. So Gilberto thought, well, it's obviously been a pretty serious misunderstanding. Maybe I better go and sort this out. By the time he got there, the funeral was well underway. So Gilberto literally crashed his own funeral, which didn't actually go down that well. People were screaming and running, thinking it was a zombie apocalypse or a ghost or something. Um, it turned out a man looking very similar to Gilberto had passed away and Gilberto's own brother had identified the body and eventually things were sorted out. But it does goes to show that sometimes life doesn't always go according to plan and sometimes mistakes are made. It also teaches us that it's a good idea to keep in touch with your family, give them a call every couple of days so they know you're alive and they don't start planning your funeral. But if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll know uh, that we've been working our way through one section of the book of Genesis. And in this particular section, we're looking at the lives of Isaac and Jacob. And they're significant men in the Bible because God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So we had this whole preaching series all planned out. But as Proverbs 19.21 tells us, people have many plans, but the Lord's purpose shall prevail. And last week, through circumstances beyond our control, we took an unplanned detour, which turned out to be great. And Craig Martin stepped in and spoke to us uh, about marriage. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I highly recommend you find the podcast and listen to Craig's message. But Craig talked about marriage deliberately, um, laying some groundwork and preparing us for the weddings, multiple weddings of Jacob this week. So last week we were scheduled to look at Genesis 28, and this week at 29. So we could just skip over 28 and keep on schedule, but I do believe all scripture is inspired by God, is useful for teaching us what is true and right, and there are some very important um, things to learn in Genesis 28 before we get to 29. So this week I will briefly cover both passages, and I will try to be brief. You might recall from two weeks ago, chapter 27, when Pastor Luke was here, we learned about how Jacob had tricked, or by deception, had gained the blessing that was meant for Esau. Jacob had overheard Isaac saying he was going to give Esau this special blessing. So when Esau went out hunting, Jacob pretended to be Esau and deceived his father and got the blessing for himself instead. Esau was not happy, not surprisingly. In fact, Esau was planning to kill Jacob. And so Luke preached to us that day about forgiveness and not carrying a grudge like Esau did and the importance of forgiveness. And that's another podcast definitely worth going back to if you missed it. 
So with that in mind, it is significant at the start of chapter 28 that Isaac blesses Jacob. Deliberately, intentionally, knowingly that it's Jacob, Isaac blesses him. No tricks this time. And most significantly, Isaac says to Jacob, may God give you and your descendants the blessing of Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live. So this was the promise that God had given to Abraham, the promise that really begins the whole rest of the story of this Bible. This is God's promise, God's plan, God's plan to save the world, the Old Testament plan that points us and leads us all the way through the Bible to Jesus. So the fact that Isaac knowingly passed this to Jacob is very significant. Now the news is not all good for Jacob in this conversation with his dad because Isaac also sends him away. The purpose, the primary purpose is to go and find a wife but there's also maybe an element of a bit of um, discipline for his behaviour and definitely to protect him from Esau who was still plotting revenge. But either way, Isaac repeats the words that his own father Abraham had said about finding a wife for Isaac. He says, do not marry a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were the the local people who lived in that land at the moment. They didn't love or fear or honour or obey God. And as I mentioned in my last sermon, and as Craig unpacked for us even more last week, the key to a good marriage is God. Both partners having a mutual love for God, a mutual determination to serve and obey God is the best foundation for a marriage that you can have. So there was good reason for that instruction not to marry a Canaanite woman. There is a difference, a significant difference between how Isaac found his wife and how Jacob found his wife. In the case of Isaac, Abraham, his father, got to his most trusted servant and gave him ten camels laden with expensive gifts and sent him to go and find the right woman for his son Isaac. In the case of Jacob, he is sent by himself to do the job, alone with nothing, literally nothing, not even a pillow to sleep on. He is just sent to go on his own adventure. As it happens, we have three young ladies from our church on an adventure at the moment, at least three that I know of, Holly, Beck and Lily, are all in Thailand on their school mission trip. And later this week, another family from church who also have a teenage daughter, they're going to South America on their own adventure with God. And all of these people are going to serve God and hope to be a blessing to others. But as unlike Jacob, they're not going to find a marriage partner. At least as far as I know, that's not the plan. But so Jacob leaves home and he sets off on his journey. And this is probably the lowest point of Jacob's life. He's now alone. He's basically penniless. He's hated by his brother. He's in fear of his life. He's heading to a strange land. And isn't it awesome to realise that it's at the lowest points of our life that God chooses to remind us of his presence, of his love and his protection. See, God is good even when people are not. And that's the title of my message today. And on the way, Jacob has a dream. You've heard the, the, the phrase, the stairway to heaven. This is the original stairway to heaven was in Jacob's dream. He sees the stairway with angels travelling up and down between heaven and earth. And at the top of the stairway, he sees the Lord and the Lord speaks to Jacob. And then God himself repeats the promise that he made to Abraham. And now gives the same promise to Jacob. And he promises the land to Jacob 
and his descendants. Now Jacob, as we read a few weeks ago, was also called Israel. So his children and descendants are literally the children of Israel. And as we read later in the Bible, his descendants did indeed inherit this land, uh, the promised land, and the land that we now know today as Israel. Surprise, surprise. See, God kept his promise, as he always does. See, God is good, even when people are not. And God also tells Jacob that all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And this promise, or prophecy, uh, which was also given to Abraham and is later fulfilled through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a descendant of Jacob. Another promise of God which was kept and delivered in full. And indeed all people on earth have been blessed through Jesus because salvation is available to us, but only through Jesus. So in response, Jacob makes a, a conditional promise to God. Jacob says, if you look after me and provide for me, then you will be my God and I will give you one-tenth of all that you give me. And as we will see later, God does indeed bless Jacob and provide for him. But this concept of giving God one-tenth, it is a biblical principle. It's not really because God needs it. As Jacob acknowledged, and as John writes in the New Testament, every good and perfect gift comes from God anyway. So giving God back one-tenth of what he gives us is not exactly generous. Really, you give me ten and I'll give you one. It's a great deal for us, isn't it? It's not because God needs help to pay the bills. Okay? God can handle that by himself. It's just about us deliberately acknowledging God and honouring him with our income and with our wealth. So it is a good biblical principle. And there is also some symbolism that some people see in Jacob's dream, that there is constant communication between earth and heaven. God is on his throne, but we on earth, we can communicate with him at any time. And that is great news indeed. So that's briefly chapter 28, but it's important to read and understand that before we get to chapter 29. We need to understand why Jacob is now in Haran, uh, looking for a bride, and we need to understand that God has clearly bestowed upon Jacob the promise that was given first to Abraham and then to Isaac. And to understand why the storyline and the narrative now follows Jacob and his descendants, and there's only passing references back to Esau. See, Abraham, the promise was given to Abraham. He had other sons, but God chose Isaac as the child of the promise. And now Isaac had another son, but God has chosen Jacob as the one for whom the promise will continue. And so the story goes. Now Jacob arrives in Haran, and the first people he meets are some shepherds, and he says, do you know Laban? And they say, yes, we know him. Now is it my imagination, or is that response not all that enthusiastic? It's not, yeah, Laban, yeah, fantastic bloke, yeah, we know him. It's just, yeah, we know him. It sounds more like, yes, I know him only too well. I used to work for him. Thank goodness I don't work for him anymore. That's the kind of vibe that I get, because as we will soon see, Laban was not exactly the nicest or most generous or honest person you would ever want to meet. But Jacob meets Rachel and Laban and the whole family, and he stays with them, and after about a month, Laban offers to pay him for the work that he's doing. And by this time, Jacob is well and truly in love with Rachel, and, but he's penniless, he doesn't have anything for you know, a dowry, a bride price to you know, prove his worth. So he offers to work for seven years for free if he can marry Rachel at the end of it. And Laban agrees. 
And the Bible says the time passes pretty quickly because Jacob was so much in love with Rachel. And then seven years go by and he says to Laban, okay, time's up. I've done my, my deal. Now's the time I want you to let me marry Rachel. And Jacob is quite clear about the, about the reason. He says, I want to make love to her. Okay, so, you know, after seven years, he's pretty keen. So, so Laban invites everyone in town, has the big feast, big day, darkness falls, nighttime arrives, the big moment, Jacob goes into the tent and does what he's been waiting for seven years to do. And in the morning he wakes up, and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Can you imagine the response, the reaction? Now, mistaken identity can happen in a whole lot of different ways. I heard one story about a a parking inspector called Bill. Bill, good name for a parking inspector, because you do the wrong thing and you'll get a bill from Bill. Anyway, Bill was just doing his job one day and he saw an expired meter and he started writing out a ticket. And then a man in a suit came running up and said, stop writing, I'm here. And Bill said, sorry mate, meter's expired, I'm just doing my job, I've already started writing the ticket. Well, the man in the suit started abusing him, saying, come on, it's probably only five minutes over. Then went on and on, and Bill didn't really appreciate the abuse, so he looked at the Red Joe sticker and he said, oh, look, that expired, I'm going to write you another ticket. And the man's like, come on, it's only last month, let me off, you mongrel. Went on and on and on, and Bill said, oh, look, there's a chip on your windscreen, I think I'm going to write you another ticket. So he turned the other page and started writing another ticket. And the man kept arguing and abusing him, and Bill said, look, mate, you're going to argue all day, or do I check for the tyres, see if they're bald? You know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And the man in the suit said, ah, doesn't worry me, not my car, and he walked off. (laughs) Uh, Joe and John were two identical twins. Uh, John was married, but Joe was single, a bit of a loner. He spent most of his spare time just fishing out on his boat. One day, Joe loaned out his boat to someone else, and they sank the boat. So Joe was not happy, and he spent an entire weekend trying to salvage as much as he could from his boat. Didn't go home, didn't check his phone, didn't get his messages, he just concentrated on his boat. Unknown to Joe, John's wife had passed away very suddenly early on the Saturday morning. They had left messages, but of course Joe hadn't got them because he was busy. So Sunday evening, after a very weekend, very busy weekend, Joe was driving home and he pulls in at the supermarket to do some shopping. And a friend mistook him for John, and she said, I'm so sorry to hear of your loss. Now, Joe, who still didn't know about his sister-in-law had passed away, he assumed she was talking about his boat. So he said, ah, it's not too bad, really. Kind of glad to be rid of her, to be honest. Her, her bottom was all shriveled, and she smelled like dead fish. So now I can finally replace her. Very awkward. So Jacob wakes up next to Leah. How this happened is indeed a mystery. Um, was he drunk? Did, Jake, did Laban spike the punch? Or was he so desperate to consummate that he didn't even bother with a quick conversation, say, you know, finally we're here, it's great, so great to be here, what a good day, been looking forward to this. We really don't know. But all we know is that he wakes up in the morning and it's not what he, what he expected. Um, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. Another mistaken identity story, more serious than uh, John and Joe even. A a married couple who had one child, uh, a son. But as he grew up, um, this son 
the mum started to get worried. He didn't look like his dad and he didn't look like anyone in her family and some of his gifts and behaviour, she thought, where did this come from? And by the time he was 10 years old, she was so concerned that she actually had a DNA test and sure enough, he wasn't their son. Well, she was devastated. She was bewildered. And she said to her husband in confusion, how could this happen? And hubby said, well, you remember when you were packing up to leave the hospital, he had a dirty nappy. And you said, can you please change him? So I did. I went to the nursery and swapped him for a clean one. So, so mistaken identities happen in all different uh, ways. But Jacob wakes up next to Leah, very unexpected. And you can imagine him saying to Laban, how could you do this to me? Which is probably exactly what Esau had said to Jacob, how could you do this to me? See, you reap what you sow, and Jacob had sown deception, he had sown unethical gain, and now he's the victim. It's not so much fun when you're on the receiving end. There's a stark contrast here between Leah and Rachel. The Bible tells us Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful, and Leah was not. Rachel probably had plenty of attention, plenty of admirers and looks and compliments, and Leah might have grown up feeling unnoticed, unwanted and unloved. Now, I don't know about you, but I, th I can identify more with Leah than with Rachel. I know it's hard to believe now, but when I grew up, I was not exactly a male model. I know, hard to believe now. Um, my love life, BT, before Tracy, can probably be summed up in six words. You're a really nice guy, but... In fact, there's really only one word there that actually mattered, and that was but. There was always a but, and I sure felt like it. Whatever came next was always well-intentioned and genuine and was probably something like, you know, I just don't like you in that way. But that voice in my head was always very helpful in filling the gaps. But you're ugly. But you're annoying. But you're useless. But you're boring. But you're not good enough. You're a really nice guy, but. In reality, I probably only heard that maybe four or five times between the age of 12 and 25 when I did meet Tracy, but it left, it left a mark, left a scar, as you can tell, and every time it would reopen the same wound. After a while, my mates would even joke about it. Dave, you're a really nice guy, but instead of saying, how's your love life? They'd say, have you been killed a nice guy recently? Good mates, good mates. But now, when I look back over my life, I feel incredibly blessed. I wonder why God has ever given me so much more than I ever deserve. And while there was a season of yearning, there has also been many seasons of blessing. Because God is good. And I tell that story for a reason, and partly for help us to, to understand how Leah may have felt. That Rachel got all the attention. And Leah might have felt like she was not good enough, like there was always a but. So it's interesting to look at the contrast after the wedding, that Leah begins having children and Rachel does not. Now without being crude about it, it's safe to assume that probably Rachel had more opportunities to conceive than Leah did, and yet by the end of the chapter Leah was literally popping children out at the rate of one per paragraph, or one, <laughs> one per verse. <laughs> while Rachel is still barren. And see, significantly, one of Leah's sons was Judah. And Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. 
So God chose Leah, the unlovely one, to be part of his ultimate divine plan. And Jesus was descended from Leah, the unlovely, rather than Rachel, the beautiful. So if you identify with Leah, that's okay. God can still use you as part of his plans, even if the world may not think you're beautiful. So in reality, both sisters were blessed in different ways and at different times. And Rachel also eventually has uh, two sons, and one of whom was an extraordinary young man called Joseph that we will learn about in the next section of this series. But they were both blessed different ways, different times, and the same is true in our lives. And you can choose to look at other people and all the things that they've got and that I haven't got and worry about that, or you can choose to be grateful for all the things that you do have, because we are all blessed. One final observation from this passage. Some critics might read this and say that God condones bigamy or multiple wives, and therefore God is sexist, and therefore God is unworthy of our worship. Not so. See, it's not God's instruction that led to Jacob being married twice to two different women. That was the plan of Laban, not God, not even Jacob. And believe it or not, sometimes God's people do things that God doesn't condone. Shocking, right? I know, hard to believe. Sometimes God's people lie and steal and cheat and gossip and slander and accuse. They might even be lazy or greedy or selfish. They might even get drunk or dishonour the Sabbath. Unbelievable. Does that mean God condones it because his people do it? No, not at all. So even in the Bible, God's people did things that God didn't condone. Here's a list of names for you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samson, Naomi, David, Solomon, Elijah, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Mark. That was just off the top of my head yesterday. That's a list of people, God's people, good people, who all did things that God did not support or condone. See, as we read this chapter, we don't see that God is bad. We actually see how good God is. Despite the behaviour of God's people, God can still forgive. Despite the mistakes that his people make, God can still make good and God can still turn things around. As I quoted from Proverbs at the start, people have plans, but people make, make mistakes, but God still achieves his ultimate purpose. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that God is slow to anger, and quick to listen, and quick to forgive. So this chapter reminds us of the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and the goodness of God. This chapter reminds us that God is good even when people are not. Recently I read this story. An honest man was being tailgated by a stressed-out woman on a busy street. Now suddenly the traffic light ahead turned orange, so he did the honest thing and he stops at the crossing, even though he could have floored it and probably just got beaten the red light, but he stopped at the intersection. So the tailgating woman behind him hit the roof and the horn, beep, screaming in frustration because she missed her chance to get through the intersection with him. As she is still in mid-rant, she hears a tap on her window and looks up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer orders her to exit the car with her hands up. He takes her to the police station where she is searched, fingerprinted, photographed and placed in a cell. After a couple of hours, a policeman approaches the cell and opens the door. She is escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer is waiting with her personal effects. 
He says, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and flipping off the guy in front of you and cussing a blue streak at him. I noticed the Choose Life licence plate holder and the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker and the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk and naturally I assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) Ouch. So this passage doesn't suggest that God told Jacob to have two wives. People in the Bible did have multiple wives and I don't know whether that was to do with the mortality rates because the men were out hunting with primitive instruments and getting killed by wild beasts or in wars. I don't know, but it happened, but it never ended well. And in the Garden of Eden, where things were perfect, there was one man and one woman, and that's how God plans it to be. And anything else is a human idea. So the Bible tells us that all of us, every single one of us, whether we believe it or not, will one day stand before God and will have to give account for every word and every action, even the ones that happen when we drive. God knows the truth, so we can't lie or fudge the truth. And every single one of us will ultimately be found guilty because we've all failed God's standard. And the consequences for all of us will be death. And there is only one hope, and that is Jesus. Last night at the worship night, we heard that a, con- a worship night without Jesus is just a concert, and I couldn't agree more. And without Jesus, our future is bleak. Without Jesus, the Bible is just a book. And when we stand before God on Judgment Day, it will not matter how we look. It will not matter how popular we are, how many children we have, how much money we have. All that will matter is Jesus. Without him, we are nothing. So let's be honest, in this life... When someone says to you, you're a really nice person, but it doesn't matter. Whether it's to do with a relationship or a job or inclusion in a a clique or whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's just one person's opinion. It's not the end of the world. But on Judgment Day, if Jesus says, you're a nice person, but I never knew you, that is the worst thing that can ever happen to you. As Wilma said last night, the worst nightmare And that is what you definitely do not want to happen. See, this chapter, like all scripture, ultimately points us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who loves us unconditionally. Jesus is the one who gave his life so we could live. Jesus is the one who paid the price for our failures and our flaws. Jesus is the one who saves, who gives us hope and joy and peace and life in this world and the next So when you stand before God, Jesus is the only one you need. You might be a wayward son like Jacob. You might be beautiful and popular like Rachel. You might feel like the unloved, unwanted extra like Leah. But for all of us, Jesus is the one we need, the one who can forgive, the one who can make us right with God, the answer to our greatest need. God is good even when people are not. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to say thank you for these two chapters of your word, your unfolding plan, the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, the plan of forgiveness for all of us. Thank you that you are good, even though people are imperfect and we let you down all the time. But help us to honour you as best we can in our lives every day. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.